Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that kind of sucked. The Buffalo Bills fell in overtime in the divisional round of the 2021-2022 NFL season playoffs to end the season, and the offseason begins once again in earnest. And there's been a lot of discussion this week so far about pain. A lot of it has been about pain. You've seen the five stages of grief pop up. You've seen, well, I kind of need this for my mental health pop up. You've seen the I'm not ready to consume this stuff pop up. And I'll level with you. I would expect a lot less people to listen to this show compared to last week. I would expect that because some people are just not going to be ready. But for those of you who decide to stick around, I have some thoughts. And I have some things I want to point out and some lessons that can be learned and some words of encouragement that I think could potentially be of assistance. Now, you might be wondering why the title of this podcast is SIPA, C-I-P-A. There are multiple uses for that acronym in the professional world. But the reason I decided to use it is because I think that that acronym is relevant to our conversation right now. And that is because we've been talking about pain. We've been talking specifically about emotional pain, but how bad it hurts. Multiple people on social media, even Wednesday, it's been multiple days, say, Hey, it still hurts. I'm still not ready. And I want to talk a little bit about pain. And specifically, I want to talk about the value of pain. And to do that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about SEPA. SEPA is an acronym that in the medical community is short for congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis. That's congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis. What this means It is an extremely rare genetic condition where the human body does not respond physiologically to external stimuli the way that it should. To put it in layman's terms, someone who has SEPA does not feel pain. Now, right about now, that sounds pretty good. It sounds really good. Wow, goodness gracious, I don't have to feel pain? This is amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about children who end up being diagnosed with SEPA because it's extremely rare. We're talking two dozen cases kind of stuff. Very, very rare. SEPA, once it's determined that it manifests, is extremely dangerous because the children don't know when something is bad for them. They burn their hands. They get infected wounds. They break an ankle and keep walking on it, causing much, much more significant damage. But ultimately, one of the most significant things that is a concern for people who have SEPA is they almost always get recommended to have their appendix taken out. Why? 
So if you remember, a couple years ago, I ended up in the hospital. And we talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but I never really shared with you why I was in the hospital. So I'm going to now. I had been struggling with chest pain for a couple weeks. And I thought it was heartburn. And I wasn't really notably affected by it, but I couldn't really seem to get it to go away. And then one night on a Saturday evening, it got so bad that I, I basically couldn't move. I felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. I was getting no relief, no matter what I was eating or drinking or moving or what position I was in or where I was laying. And I told my wife, we need to call 911. And we sat on the couch and I have a plan in the event that I don't come home from the hospital. My wife knows what that plan is. She knows we have a, we have a, a plan as to what happens if I don't come home. And so we sat down on the couch and I was trying to keep it together and the ambulance was on its way and I looked at her and I said, okay, you know what the plan is, right? You know what to do if I don't come home, right? And she said, yes, we've been through this before. She knows what to do. She knows where all the codes are. She knows what to do with the life insurance. She knows who to talk to, help with the finances. She knows all this stuff because we went through what happens if I don't come home. So I went to the hospital and I got there. It was 3 a.m. roughly when the ambulance took me there. And they took me for imaging and tests and they came back and they said, uh, Bruce, you have one heck of a gallstone. And I said, what now? They said, it's, 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 it's pretty big. It's real, real big. Like you're not going to pass it level big. And I said, oh, great, great. Some of you may remember that I came home the next day from the hospital and I immediately had to record an episode of Locked on Bills for the Shrine Game, which is funny because, you know, the next episode of the Bruce Exclusive, we're going to talk a little about, about Shrine Game and Senior Bowl players. But this was that. And long story short, I ended up being able to get that taken care of. But the only way that I knew that there was something wrong was the pain that I was feeling. If I was someone who had SEPA, if I was someone who had congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis, I probably would have died because at some point I started to turn yellow. And by that point, I was so jaundiced that it was probably too late if I hadn't felt pain. The anhydrosis part of congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis is the inability to sweat which means you're extremely vulnerable to fevers. You're extremely vulnerable to when you work out and your body doesn't cool itself, you can end up with really significant heating issues in your internal organs and your body because you're supposed to be able to sweat. We don't pant the way dogs do. We sweat for a reason. And so this stuff sounds like it's okay. It sounds really good when you don't have to worry about pain but they want to remove your appendix because they're afraid that the trigger that's inside you that tells you there's something worth caring about won't go off. They're worried that you'll have an appendix rupture and you'll die of sepsis and you won't even know it because you didn't have the pain. The pain that exists inside you is there to tell you that there's something inside you worth caring about. That's what it's for. It's for the body to respond and tell you that there's something inside you that's worth caring about. It's that way with physical pain. It's that way with emotional pain. The pain tells you that there's something in you that's worth caring about. So although it may sound fun or ideal to not have to feel the kind of pain that we feel now, when your team loses a devastating game, I would like to encourage you that this feeling of pain is better than the alternative, which is not feeling. It is better. It's absolutely better. It's better in the physical sense. It's better in the emotional sense. It's just better. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got a lot to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise 
the future of work. Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about SEPA, and we did that. And I had some thoughts that I wanted to share that I thought were related to this particular feeling that Bill's Mafia is going through. But there's some other things to get into in regards to specifically this game and some lessons that can be learned. The first one is that wins are not a quarterback stat. We know this. You know this. We've been talking about this. But I want to point out something. Josh Allen had one of the best postseasons in NFL history. He played two almost perfect games in the playoffs. One of them, the Bills won in dominating fashion. The other one, they lost in overtime. Roughly similar games From a Josh Allen standpoint, really, really good, dominant games. Games where you probably can't ask for a lot more from your quarterback. Would you agree with that? In both games, it'd be difficult to say, I need more from my quarterback. They pretty much capped out as good as you could possibly play. One of them, the Bills blew the ever-living doors off of the New England Patriots. The next one, they lost. What changed? How big of a swing is that the Bills beat the Patriots by 30 points. They lost to the Chiefs by six. That means the remainder of that team was a 24-point swing. That's how significant the remainder of the team was for Josh Allen. Because in both games, he played really well. In one game, the remainder of the team played really well as well. In the other game, they didn't. 24 points. That's how much the rest of the team mattered for Josh Allen. I also kind of like that Matthew Stafford helped end that narrative as well this weekend. Remember, Stafford never wins anything. Tom Brady's the ultimate winner at quarterback. Stafford will never win anything. Well, I'm not going to say Matt Stafford beat Tom Brady because that's not the vernacular we use here. But the team that was led by Matt Stafford beat the team that was led by Tom Brady. Oh, how embarrassing for the Windsor quarterback stat people. I want to talk about the phrase wasn't enough because that's a phrase being tossed around a lot this particular week. It wasn't enough. I think enough implies that the only thing that determines a victory is the sum of your effort and performance. And I don't think that's true. I think we are dismissing variance when it comes to things like that. The Buffalo Bills have played the Kansas City Chiefs three times in the last 12 months. The margin of difference in the points scored between the two of them is two. That's how razor thin the margin is, which means variance exists. Coin flip games, one score games are coin flip games for a reason. The Bills were five and one in one score games last year. They were 0 and six in one score games this year. With the same quarterback and the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator and the same defensive coordinator and everyone yelling in between the 5-1 and and the 0-6, the fact that they were running it back. If that doesn't convince you that there's an element of randomness and variance to this stuff, then I don't know what does. If the Bills win the coin toss, you might feel completely differently this week. That doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the fact that there are things that go into performance, we do. We acknowledge what the coaches did well, what the players did well, what the coaches did poorly, what the players did poorly. But variance and randomness are part of tight games in the NFL. And the ball did not bounce the Bills' way this year. It just didn't. There were plenty of times last year where it did. The Bills had a fourth down against the Los Angeles Rams last year where they got a pass interference call that could have not been called. And the narrative of that game would have been 
the Bills choked the game away. That would have been the narrative. They choked. Because that's the narrative now about Bills Chiefs. They choked. Well, if the ref doesn't throw that flag on fourth down against the Los Angeles Rams, that's the narrative of that game too. Variance, randomness, things beyond your control are part of it. And they're part of it more often in one score and close games. We knew that this game was going to come down to aggressiveness on offense, tackling on defense, and good coaching decisions. We got one of those three things. We got aggressiveness on offense. Aggressive decisions by Sean McDermott. Aggressive throws and aggressive plays from Josh Allen. We got that. We didn't get tackling on defense. We didn't get good coaching decisions overall. The 13 seconds at the end of the game has been played time and time again back in people's heads. Wherever the disconnect occurred, the Buffalo Bills, in my opinion, absolutely should have kicked it short into the field to play or squib kicked it to burn time. The defensive calls at the end of the game were defensive calls that were better off in a different situation. So we didn't get two of the three things we needed to win the game. But because the one thing we did get was so good, we were still in it. And that was Josh Allen. Now, there's a very reasonable chance that Brian Dable or Leslie Frazier or both of them will not be back with the Buffalo Bills next year. And we need to separate out the fact that Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Brian Dable made mistakes in this game from the fact that we want them gone. I think about this a lot and I mentioned it on social media. We don't marry perfect people. That's not what we do. My wife is fantastic. She is a goddess walking amongst mere mortals. She is not perfect. Neither am I. But at some point, we accept that perfection is not a thing. And instead, we strive for greatness. So yes, I can criticize Sean McDermott and have and criticized him earlier this year for what I thought was going wrong, specifically with the Buffalo Bills offense. And I think the last 13 seconds were mishandled. And I think the last defensive calls were mishandled. So I can criticize him and Leslie Frazier and Brian Dable and Heath Farwell and simultaneously not want them to be fired. Those two things exist because I don't think perfection is an attainable goal. Well, it was a really big moment, Bruce. Okay. Yeah, it was a really big moment. The mistake is still the same. I'm not a believer that one mistake or two mistakes or three mistakes is something that makes someone capable of being fired. The other day, after the game, something happened that very, very rarely ever happens between my wife and I. I don't think it was related to the game, but I'm not sure. I got a little snippy with my wife. I cannot tell you the last time I've been snippy with my wife. It might have been years since I've been snippy with my wife. But she said something and she was kind of irritable with me. And I got kind of snippy back for a second. And I said, oh my gosh, what has happened here? And of course I apologized immediately. But am I going to get divorced now? Is that what's going to happen? I made a mistake. I made a mistake in a big moment. Why don't I get divorced? Wow, Bruce, this is a ridiculous metaphor. We're not married coaches. It's a business. Do your job. Really? Do you know anybody who does their job perfect all the time? There's a difference between flawed and worthy of firing. There's a difference between great and perfect. But we exist in this world where the only options are either perfect or fire them. And I can't get with that. I cannot get with that. I cannot get on board. With the concept that the only two things that are acceptable human behavior are perfect or divorce worthy. Because that's not how humans work. That's not how anyone has ever worked. We strive for greatness. Sean McDermott's a really good coach. A really good coach who happened to make a terrible mistake. It's not the first time he's made it. Do you remember the Colts game where he punted and he got lucky? Because he punted and played for overtime in a game where a tie causes you to fall out of the playoffs. He got lucky with a stop 
They ended up getting the ball back and LaShawn McCoy rushed for a touchdown. He played for a tie in a game where a tie was just as bad as loss. But that was five years ago. When was the last time he did that? It's really important that we not let things like this and the fact that we're emotional and the fact that we're hurting cover up everything else about what's happening. And for some reason, I always come off like I'm some sort of Sean McDermott apologist, and that's not true. I just think that you should judge people based on the sum of their experiences and their body of work. Well, it was a really big moment. Do you have any idea how many game-winning shots players have missed in the NBA? Big moments. Gotta have it. But we just intrinsically understand sample size less in football. We just do because there's less of it. So we think somehow it doesn't matter. In baseball and basketball, they care about sample size because the season's so long. Somebody has one bad game, they don't even blink an eye. They wait until it's a trend. We don't do that in football. We swing left and swing right. Swing up and swing down. So yes, I think there's room for criticism. Yes, I think there should be. I think any suggestion that the Buffalo Bills should somehow move on from Sean McDermott is insanity. During the game, I thought a lot about Josh Allen's performance, as you probably would imagine. After the game, I thought a lot about Josh Allen's performance. But I realized that, you know, I really don't get to pick nicknames for people. But do you guys remember Transformers? Do you remember Warpath? The tank doesn't always do the smartest things necessarily, but you just love him. He drives over people in tank form and turns into a gigantic robot, shoots a gigantic cannon. Oh, kind of feels like Josh Allen's Warpath. I feel like that's a really good like t-shirt idea or something. But the fact that the organization signed him to a big contract and said, Josh, you're a part of this. And then also the next year said, Josh is going to be part of the discussion about the offensive coordinator of this team. That's one of the reasons why I don't freak out too much about Josh Allen potentially becoming alienated from the organization, a la Aaron Rodgers, a la rumors about Russell Wilson. They know. They know. Brandon Bean just gets it. Sean McDermott just gets it. Oh, look, another feather in the cap of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. The fact that they know enough and have the emotional intelligence not to isolate their star quarterback. But Josh Allen kind of reminds me of Warpath. You know, the fact that the Bills have invested their first pick in a defensive player four of the last five drafts and still have a defense that is good in plurality due to two safeties who arrived as free agents in 2017 is unfortunate to me. The best part of the Bills' defense is their safety play. Neither of them were drafted by the Bills. Tremaine Edmonds is going to be a big topic of conversation this offseason, I'm sure. A.J. Epinesa is going to be a big topic of conversation. Boogie Basham is going to be a big topic of conversation. Thankfully, Ed Oliver saw a breakout year this year, and I think that really helps a lot. But don't be surprised if you see more first-round picks spent on the defensive line because they just haven't hit yet. And the sunk cost fallacy will tell you that, well, we can't spend a first-round pick on a defensive lineman. We spent a first-round pick last year. Yeah, and Mario Addison's gone. Jerry Hughes is gone. They have Boogie, A.J. Epinesa, Oliver under contract for next year. They have Star under contract for next year. They have Gregory Rousseau under contract for next year. So it's three ends, two tackles. That's basically it. That's not enough. So I would be surprised if there wasn't another investment this offseason. And we're going to talk about a lot in the lead up to free agency and the draft. Plurality pie. Sean McDermott, 26%. Kick it short. Don't play the boundary when they have three timeouts. Sean McDermott was the biggest reason why the Buffalo Bills lost the game. Leslie Frazier, 24%. Mahomes had 177 yards after the two-minute warning. You did the best you could. I know you don't have the horses. 
It's the reason why I've been pounding the table for corners who can actually run. But the defensive play calls on the last drive were really bad. Brian Dable, 18%. Three runs in a row, burns a drive. Non-Josh Allen runs in a row, burns a drive in a game you can't afford to burn a drive in. Levi Wallace, 8%. Got picked on. Tremaine Evans, 8%. Didn't have a great game. Other, 16%. Sean McDermott, 26%. Leslie Frazier, 24%. Brian Dable, 18%. Levi Wallace, 8%. Tremaine Evans, 8%. Other, 16%. Ladies and gentlemen, plurality pie. I want to give you a little preview for what's coming this offseason. Coming this offseason, I just want you to know, I will be a hater. I say this tongue-in-cheek, of course. I'm never really a hater. But the way it works is that during the offseason, I'm a hater. And during the regular season, I'm a homer. That's the way that the mob interprets it to be. But I didn't really change. The only thing that really changes is the mob. If you remember, a while ago, I was giving encouragement out last year on the podcast. And I said, whether you are a homer or a hater is determined by the mob. Even if you just stand steady, they will brand you as either a homer or a hater based upon the collective emotion of the group in that moment. But in the offseason, remember, everything is sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows because hope springs eternal in the offseason. Every pick is amazing. Every free agent's a bargain. And then during the regular season, everyone needs to be fired after every disappointment. So I don't think in the offseason that everything is sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows all the time. And in the regular season, I don't think everyone should be fired after every disappointment. Therefore, in the offseason, I will be a hater. And in the regular season, I will be a homer. That's just the way it works. So we will specifically analyze everything the Bills do through the framework of the foundational things that I personally believe go into positive team building. And we'll talk about that. And if I'm right, we'll take a W. And if I'm wrong, we'll take an L. And we'll break down why we think what we think. And that's what we're going to spend the offseason doing. Breaking down why we think what we think. I have 15 emails. And I'm not going to get through all of them. So I'm going to get through as many as I possibly can. And then we're going to wrap it up. Andrew starts with an almighty take. And says, it's 10 p.m. Right now, on January 23rd. I'm mad. So damn mad but I'll be okay because you taught me better anyway I'm bumping this take from last year I'll be damned if I'm going to take your original analysis of highly improbable after what we just watched the man do so Davis becomes Diggs Diggs becomes Beasley profit a reminder that Andy sent something last year on January 9th of 2021 that said Gabe Davis is going to be a true number one wideout I still think it's fairly highly improbable. I think that if you watch the tape from the Bills Chiefs, a lot of what Gabriel Davis was able to do was done because the Chiefs were really bracketing Stephon Diggs. So I still don't think Gabriel Davis is a true number one wide receiver. So I'm still going to go with highly improbable. I'm not ready yet, Andy. I'm not ready. But I'm thrilled with that. I think that there's more optimism about Gabriel Davis being a number two receiver than there's ever probably been. Vince sent me an email and said, well, Bruce, nobody wants to hear it, but the draft a corner crowd was right, especially after losing Trey White. I think we were right. Levo was okay. And he even played pretty well in some games. I've never really been all in on Dane. This game showed the need for attention to the spot. And honestly, I'm not sure where we get it if we don't spend draft capital on it, but we shouldn't assume the offensive line is fixed either. Sure, our defense is good, but largely they went untested against true passing offenses this year and a steady stream of backup-level quarterbacks. The numbers we like to quote were largely inflated. They were misleading, to some degree. Not that they weren't legit, but maybe not top of the league. Maybe a few notches down. This was the first passing offense we faced in many weeks, and we did not look ready at all. The investments made the defensive line were for this game, and they gave us just a marginal improvement over last year. Sure, a few pressures on Mahomes, but not the payout we were hoping for. You cannot blame any of that on Allen, though. Have a good one, Bruce. You know I love your stuff, Vince. Vince is one of my guys. He's been one of my guys for years. 
I'm not going to take a victory lap on saying the Bills needed to draft a corner who is more athletic. I'm not going to do it. I'm absolutely not going to do it. Maybe I should. I don't know. I just don't feel like it's the time. We'll talk about it later on. But I'm not going to take a victory lap. Yeah, I just, I just, I I don't have it in me. Jeremy says, Bruce, I work in finance. I'm a believer in statistics. I'm a relatively unemotional fellow. I love math and the laws of probability. Yet I'm absolutely crushed right now. It won't kill me as my wife and I have many happy things to celebrate, but we both literally feel like we were gutted. After waiting nine plus months before the next game, it just seems incredibly hard to take. Help us make sense of this, Bruce. Jeremy, I hope my discussion earlier about pain, I hope that was good for you. I hope that was relevant. I hope that made you appreciate the feeling and not wish it away from you. Jeremy also went on to suggest that he has a new theory for overtime rules. And I thought it was interesting, so I wanted to share it with you. Keep the rules structured as is, he says, but put overtime into play on the opening coin flip. Currently, on the opening coin toss, a team can kick or receive, or they can defer the decision to the second half. They should just put overtime into the mix, he says. So the decision would now become, number one, kick or receive the opening kickoff. Two, defer the decision to the second half. Or three, defer the decision to a potential overtime should it occur. The coin toss winner makes a decision. Then the coin toss loser makes a second decision. Then the winner gets left with a remaining decision. I think what would end up happening in this scenario is that the person who deferred, because they're always going to defer, the person wins the coin toss, they defer. The other person's not going to assume that an overtime is going to exist which means they're always going to end up saying, well, we like the ball because we know we're going to get it versus a potential going to get it in overtime. And you're going to end up with the same thing you're in now. I love the creativity of the idea, but I don't think it would actually change anything from a meaningful perspective. That's my personal opinion on it. Mark says, hi, Bruce. Love your show and following you on Twitter. Being an out-of-market Bills fan in enemy territory is made easier by following great content and thought-provoking content like yours. Appreciate all the work you put in daily. I see a lot of people saying the Bills should have done a squib kick. I know in Madden this is a suggested play to call when you're ahead and kicking off with under a minute to go, but that's, of course, a video game. I don't recall Tyler Bass executing a squib kick during the regular season. It would seem to me that asking him to do something out of the ordinary with the game on the line is a recipe for disaster. I thought McDermott's comment after the game was odd, but sounded like maybe they weren't trying to kick out of the back of the end zone either, and either the instruction got missed or was executed poorly. Interested to hear your thoughts on it. So, I know he practices squib kicks, because everyone practices squib kicks. But even if not, he could have just kicked it short. That's something that's pretty common, and a kicker who's as good as Tyler Bass is should be able to do it if he was called upon to do it. Evan says, Okay, one last one, Bruce. My take for next season and the next few seasons. Bills will make the playoffs every single year of the 2020 decade. What Josh Allen just did in the playoffs becomes the operating standard, and he leads Buffalo to an even Super Bowl record by the time he retires. He's going to revolutionize the quarterback position and will ensure Buffalo has a team until either the NFL or civilization fold. As soon as the 2022 season is over, Buffalo becomes a destination for proven vets who want to chase a ring in order to get a gold jacket. Brandon Bean has begun turning the front office into a GM factory. His free agent and drafting will continue that. Sean McDermott will begin his coaching tree and will become a destination for up-and-coming position coaches and or fallen head coaches to get a coordinator gig. At the least I am certain of is that it's a matter of when, not if, Josh and the Boers are shotgunning Labatt Blues with Brother Bill in downtown Buffalo during their first parade. Somewhere in the crowd, wearing a trench coat, and a hat and glasses resembling D.B. Cooper, a man known only as Bruce Nolan on the internet, will smile and walk back to his unmarked car headed for parts unknown. Highly probable, Evan. Let's go. Jesse says, Hi, Bruce. In the moments following Kansas City's walk-off touchdown, I sank back onto my couch and said, Well, that sucked. I soon started getting text messages from friends decrying the NFL's overtime rules. These friends were at best playoff fans, but definitely had no loyalty to the Bills. Perhaps they were thinking that they were commiserating with me, but my guess is that they were so invested in the drama of the game that they didn't want it to end, at least not without number 17 getting a chance at a reply. My response was always some version of, well, 
the rules are what they are. Everyone knows that going in. What would you change? One reply was to play an extra quarter straight up. The obvious concern there, besides the physical toll on the players, is what happens if the game's still tied? In a playoff game, someone has to win. I never liked the original sudden death rules and was happy when the NFL changed them so at least a field goal wouldn't be enough to win on the opening touchdown drive. Since then, I haven't been thrilled with the idea of a team being able to win without the other team touching the ball, but hey, it's better than what they had before. But all this got me thinking, what if there is a better way? I think I found the solution that's simple elegance. What if the overtime rules stayed exactly as is, except that if the team that wins the toss scores a touchdown, by rule, they would have to kick an, a single extra point. Opposing team gets a chance to respond. If they score a touchdown, by rule, they'd have to attempt a two-point conversion. Unless the first team missed their point after touchdown. The game would not be extended by more than one extra drive, and teams might think strategically about their choice to receive the opening kickoff. Perhaps there are others out there proposing something similar, but I haven't seen it if they are. Thank you for all the amazing content you provide over the course of the year. There's literally more Bills content than I can humanly consume in a given week, but Bruce Exclusive and Food for Thought are appointment listening for me. I appreciate your calm and reason takes as well as your statistical prowess. Oh, I almost forgot. I had an epiphany early on in the game. There were too many times where our defense almost sacked Mahomes, but he wriggled out to make some amazing play. I was beside myself at our defense as to why they couldn't just get him on the ground. At some point, it hit me. Huh, that's exactly what every team feels like when they play Josh Allen. Yep, you're right. It's really frustrating to play Josh Allen. I would hate playing Josh Allen. Thanks for everything you do. Go Bills, Jesse. Jesse, I like your idea. I really do. I like your idea quite a bit. I haven't really sat down to think about the probabilities and whether or not the fairness exists, but I like it on surface. I have a feeling that overtime rules are going to become a part of a very significant offseason narrative. And the fact that the Bills were in a game that was so monumental that it caused the league to start talking about the overtime rules tells you something. Jamie says, I'm a pessimist by nature. Glass is always half empty. It may be my upbringing, it may be where I live, because quite frankly, it's grown up north. All I know is the glass is half empty. I think this may come across in my communications to you at the start of the season, but I felt like we may not get out of the AFC East, and after the Bills lost three and four games, I truly believe the season was over. However, after Sunday night's results, I'm not a Debbie Downer anymore. I'm a positive Pete, and it's hard to convey in the limited characters that Twitter gives you, so I thought I'd vent towards you and your almighty takes, as it's probably the best platform. The last few days have been some seriously hot takes, a lot being serious hyperbole. And I'd just like to remind everyone that life is long and the race is only with yourself. Stop comparing the bills to everyone else at the moment and compare the bills to the bills. And this is my ray of sunshine to everyone. So let's have a tall glass of water. I see what you did there. Put on a chicken hat. I see what you did there. And go back to January 1st, 2017, just over five years ago. The bills have finished the 2016 season. The Bills were without a coach. Rex Ryan sacked the previous game. A GM who was about to be fired. Had two winning seasons in a span of 17 years. Didn't have a playoff victory in 21 years. Now, ask your January 1st, 2017 self if they would like the following. A head coach and GM who have been on the job for five seasons. The Bills who have made the playoffs in four of the last five seasons. The Bills who have won the AFC East twice. The Bills who have managed to get to the AFC Championship. The Bills who have a quarterback who's in the envy of probably 30 other teams. The Bills who have at least three hits in every draft class since 2017. I don't think anyone in their right mind would be saying they want more than that. They're a Super Bowl contender. And that brings with it certain perks that non-contenders struggle with. There are two reasons that players play for teams. Money, glory. Ideally, you want to do both, but unfortunately for most players, they're mutually exclusive. If you want to play for glory, you might have to end up accepting lower wages. If you're quite happy taking the cash, you can be the best version of yourself on Megabucks, but you'll end up on losing teams. The Bills have transformed themselves from a team where players went for the money to a team where players are willing to take a pay cut to play for the Bills. Take the contracts for Murphy and Latulale and compare them to Sanders and Milano. The Bills are doing well in the free agency market. And best of all, they're almost out of all the initial big money contracts for players. 
Look at this season squad and count how many players are on the Bills that have either been drafted or undrafted free agents. I'm guessing around 60%. Someone with more free time than me can do the stat. I did the stat. 54.5% of the Bills starters were drafted. Drafted by the Bills, mind you, during the Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean era. Because remember, they don't overlap exactly. So you were close. You said 60. It was 54.5. In fact, compare the 2016 squad and this season's squads, and there are only two names. Jerry Hughes, Reed Ferguson. Reed Ferguson was on the practice squad. Your favorite players will leave. You may believe they're the most important part of the Bills' success. However, they may want more money than Bean is offering, or they may not be McDermott's plans. Always remember that graveyards are full of indispensable men, and football teams are no different. There will always be a next man up. So look at how far the Bills have come in the last five seasons, and best of all, the Bills aren't stopping anytime soon. Believe in the process, because the sample size is far larger than 13 seconds. I really like the way you ended that one. Jordan says, hi, Bruce. First time, long time. Thanks for the great episodes this season. Your show is one of my must-listens, and I'm sure there are plenty more great ones coming. I've always loved the way you break down not just the game, but the way we think about it as fans. I was thinking about the topic of Super Bowl or bust after the loss to the Chiefs. This one hurts, but it's hard to say it feels like a bust. I've been trying to stay off social media somewhat unsuccessfully the last couple of days, and it's lent me some perspective. I've seen Packers fans, Saints fans, and Patriots fans. These three titans of organizations worried about their team's futures. Fans can lean on their history all they want, but at the end of the day, they're still left wanting more. Just one more run. We follow a game that is obsessed with records and history, not in spite of, but because of the fact of their impermanence. I'm not going to say it wouldn't have felt a lot better to win it all. That'd be a lie. But I just think there's a lesson here in loving the process and taking pleasures in the moments we get. At the end of the day, win or lose, that boulder is going to roll back down the hill and we're going to have to push it back up again. When I think back to some of my favorite Bill's memories, I think about stuff like high-fiving strangers at Bill's Backers Bars in a town where I didn't know anyone after Dan Carpenter kicked a 58-yarder for the league with 17 seconds left. That season, our quarterback, Kyle Orton, rode off into the sunset and St. Marone went on to bless Jacksonville with his talents. Sure, expectations were lower, but I feel like if there can be happiness to be found in a season like that, there's plenty to be thankful for after this one. If there's one thing I think I'll really miss about this opportunity, it'll be that we don't get the shot to put a final cap on the season and show the rest of the league that this is why we believe in our guys. Of course, even if I say that, Nick Wright is dishing out praise for Josh Allen, something I never thought I'd see coming. Besides, whether or not anyone else believes in this team, I know the performance I saw on Sunday night was put on by a team good enough to run with anyone. I'm sticking by them. Super Bowl or bust. Man, you guys are really good. Like you're hitting the right notes all in the feels and everything. I really like it. Jordan, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I think that part of us, we don't want to admit it, but part of us really wants to prove people wrong. We want to dunk on people. There are some accounts out there that exist only for the purpose of dunking on people. And don't get me wrong, I love dunking on people. I've done my share of dunking in my life. But we can't get so obsessed with the dunking that we just refuse to enjoy what we're doing. Again, as I mentioned before, it's supposed to be fun. Thomas says, hi, Bruce. I'm still shocked the Bills lost this game, but I hope you can clarify something for me. I can't blame anything on the players as far as my understanding of the game goes. But I have a really hard time understanding the coaching decisions in the last 13 seconds of quarter four. How in the world do you not kick it inside the field so at least three to five seconds will be taken off the clock? Why are you rushing with four and you're not double covering Kelsey and Hill and letting them get 50 yards in two plays? Why are you having a defensive scheme covering air at the sides of the field? The Chiefs don't have to go outside. They have three timeouts. Now, the most important point which gets my head spinning. I never even played football in my life. I'm here in Germany. Just a fan. How come professional coaches don't see this, but I do? I mean, Josh Allen played like I've never even imagined he could. So absolutely, unbelievably great. As much as I like the promise of this team, these coaching decisions are really bothering me. I hope you continue your great work during the offseason. All the best to you and your family from Hamburg, Germany, Thomas. Thomas, I agree with you. It was a really bad, really, really bad coaching display. The coaches were... Almost the entirety of the plurality pie for me when I blamed him. 
There's a reason for that. Sometimes Josh Allen throws a terrible, indefensible, awful interception across his body that ends up costing the Bills huge in the game. That happens sometimes. And that's essentially the equivalent of what happened for the coaching staff. The coaching staff threw an absolutely killer back-breaking interception at the end of the game to lose it for the Buffalo Bills. That's what happened. And they're going to have to live with that. It wasn't the only reason why the Buffalo Bills lost. That's why you call it plurality pie, not totality pie. But it's a big part of the reason why they lost. And it's something that's going to be on the narrative and on the lips and minds of Buffalo Bills fans for the next couple of months. And just like a player who threw a back-breaking interception to end a playoff game has to think about that for the rest of the offseason, so too do the coaches have to think about that for the rest of the offseason. We are going to try to get to as many other emails as we possibly can next week. But I want to finish with this. This is the last Bruce exclusive of the regular season. But this offseason, barring something catastrophic, I'll let you know if something changes. The schedule will be exactly the same for me. Every Thursday morning, bam, Bruce exclusive in your podcast feed. Friday night, food for thought, live on YouTube, 9 p.m., me and Nate Geary. Saturday morning, the food for thought will drop as a podcast right here on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. So the off-season, Bruce, same as the regular season, Bruce. Nothing changes for me. If something can't be done consistently, I probably don't do it. That's just the way I am. But I want to take an opportunity because this is the last episode of the regular season. And I want to finish off this podcast by saying thank you. This show has grown quite a bit. My followers on Twitter and social media in general have grown. The amount of people who have sent me emails has grown to the point where I don't get to a lot of them. And people understand that. And that's the thing I want to thank you for the most. I don't want to thank you for consuming the content. I want to thank you for understanding me. I want to thank you for the fact that I have my direct messages turned off on Twitter. But there are a couple people on there who direct messaged me and I responded before I turned them off. So those people still kind of have an open window to me and they direct message me sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes I don't get to them. And they, they get it. Sometimes I, I can't respond to everything that I want to respond to. Sometimes someone asks me a question on Twitter and I, I don't get to it. And they get it. They understand. They understand when I say things like, I'm not going to tell you that about myself. They understand when I go off on some sort of weird tangent about the value of pain. They go, oh, well, that's just Bruce. He's a weirdo. That's cool. But what we have cultivated here, what this group of people who listens to the show has cultivated is we have cultivated a group who doesn't really yell and scream and go off the handle. We developed a group who cares about sample size. And you know what? I'm not going to be for everybody and that's okay. There are going to be people who listen to the show one time and go, what is he talking about? What is this nonsense? Imagine if your first time listening to the Bruce exclusive was the musical episode from last off season. <laughs> like imagine if that was your first introduction to this show, but I want to say thank you to you for following along. If you look at the numbers for the Bruce exclusive it's consistent as the day is long. Win, lose, yeah, there's a little bit of change, but not like other things. You show up every Thursday to talk and to listen to me and to somehow find value in what we're talking about on these podcasts. And it means so much to me that you, you just get me. And after a lot of years of doing this, I'm really glad that we get to continue and I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I can. Thank you very much. And you know, if you're, if you're not one of those people, you're not part of the group, then that's okay. But you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.